Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author, and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. In this episode, I speak with Megan Beadle, an acquiring editor at Dundurn Press who ran her own literary agency for several years. So if you've been listening to the last run of episodes, that word, agent, agency, rings a bell, ding, ding. We're still talking about literary agency with the intention of both demystifying the role of agents a little and encouraging you, dear writer, to follow your path with intentionality and self-knowledge. I first met Megan Beadle when she took my Lit Mag Love course some years ago, and she talks about how she's applying those lessons of getting intentional about her submission practice to her own writing career. That's a little deeper into the episode. So before that, I ask all about the various literary hats she has worn and a curiosity I have because in my circle of connections, I seem to know a lot of ex-agents and not current agents. So I wondered if she knew why that was. And her answer helped again clarify the challenges of that role and how agents work in partnership with writers. Listen to our supportive conversation for encouragement and empowering notes about why you always have agency and the choice to follow your own path in your writing. So welcome, Megan Beadle, to the podcast. I'm so delighted to have you here. Knowing you and following your writing career through a bunch of different roles, you're currently the acquiring editor at Dundurn, but you've worn several hats. And so I definitely want to talk about many of those hats. And I mentioned, you know, when we were setting up that I invited you to the podcast because we're doing a few episodes in a row related to the theme of agency, which is meant both conceptually as people, listeners are probably tired of me repeating this, but it's meant conceptually. And also because we just had two writers in our community recently sign with agents and it was really exciting news and just sort of something that we're exploring as a community as well of emerging writers who are now, you know, on the precipice of becoming agented and published writers with big publishing houses. Also, you are a bit like my previous guest, my colleague Geffen Semach from Room Magazine, because you wear so many literary hats or you've worn so many. And so I just want to know everything about all the roles. But I'm wondering if it's okay if we start a bit with your experience with a literary agency and, and your literary agenting role and how you went from there to how you discovered the other roles that feel like a better fit for you. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I can certainly talk about that. So I have had a very (laughs) untraditional journey getting into publishing and becoming an acquisitions editor at Dundurn Press. So I actually started at the Canadian Manda Group in sales, and uh, I was the national accounts coordinator there. But I had always loved editorial. I loved reading. And so at a certain point, I realized it wasn't quite the right fit. And I started interning at what was McDermott at the time. It's now Cook McDermott. So I was there for a while and I started doing a lot of freelance editorial and then started my own small literary agency, which I (laughs) no longer (laughs) do. But That went on for a little while, and I realized what I really, really loved about being an agent 
was actually a lot of the editorial aspects of it. And so I was taking more and more freelance editorial versus agency work. And I really didn't love the contracts part of it. It wasn't my my favorite element of it. I really loved doing the developmental edits and I really loved working with the author to make the story the best that it could be, being on that side of the process. So after that, while I was doing more of the freelance editorial, I worked at Book City in the Beaches at a bookstore. I did some writing for myself. I did some editorial. I was also working on freelance for Dundurn, among other freelance jobs. And when they had an assistant editor role up, I reached out to them and they brought me on. And then after that, I was there for a little bit and they moved me up to acquiring editor. So that was sort of the process. And having my own literary agency, that that lasted for quite a few years and I really enjoyed it. But it does take a particular personality. And I think for me, I really just love that editorial part of it. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, we were talking a bit before the recording, because I was saying, I don't seem to know many agents. I know a lot of people who formerly were agents and have gone on to do different roles. So I think there is something, and maybe that's in the contract stuff that you're talking about, just wanting to kind of pursue that best deal for the writer. And that's a little bit of a different brain, I guess, than the one that's like, oh, no, I want to work on the language level. I want to develop this writing to be the best it can be. Oh man, I know some incredible literary agents, Canadian literary agents, and they're all so good at what they do. And I think for me, I would fall in love with a manuscript. And if, you know, the market wasn't right for it at the time, it would absolutely break my heart. I would feel so disappointed. It's one thing dealing with rejection on your own behalf. I'm quite good at that. I'm quite resilient. But when, you know, you're representing somebody and you can see the brilliance in what they're working on, but for whatever reason, you know, the market's saying, oh, I want another retelling of Cinderella. And you're like, no, no, you don't need that. This is what you need. But for whatever reason, it's not taking. I always felt so responsible and... Yeah, I just didn't always have the stomach for it, to be honest. The industry is really interesting and it it goes through, you know, fads and things like that. But being able to trust my own gut on what I really believe is worth publishing is something that I get on the acquiring side. And I get so much value from that. You get to decide kind of what you think is worthy and beautiful and why and help let it reach an audience. And so that's really special. (laughs) And that's something I think I was really missing on the agency side. I mean, I just love that and can understand how that would feel where it's like, oh, I'm rooting for this book and it didn't make it because of whatever's happening in the market right now. Thinking of all the different roles that you've played, maybe can you tell us a bit about a more satisfying experience you had in one of the writerly environments that you have been in? Yeah. So just recently, I was able to acquire a mystery for Dundurn by a new author who I met in an emerging writer series. And he'd had some short pieces published a novella. And I met him through that and I read his manuscript and it was absolutely brilliant. And Dundurn does mystery really well. So (laughs) 
I was able to bring it to our acquiring board and fight for it and get it through. It's called The Road to Heaven. It's by Alexis Stefanovich Thompson. And I'm so excited for everybody to be able to experience it. It's such an interesting mystery. It's riveting. It's set in the 1960s Toronto in the Parkdale area. After we acquired it, his novella was actually put up for a Best Crime Writers Award in Canada. So I was like, yep, my instincts are correct. I I knew it was good. And so I'm really excited for that manuscript to just reach the right audience. And I know he's going to have a long career as a mystery author. So that's always such an exciting part of the process is to be part of that journey for other authors and to help them kind of find their way in the industry. I love that. I'm just like, super excited about this book just from you talking about it. So that's really wonderful. I want to turn to the idea of agency when it comes to, I guess what you were saying a bit about, you know, being at the wrong time, wrong time kind of marketing wise, because many times I'll have writers come to me and say, oh, well, what I'm writing isn't particularly marketable. And I think of mystery writing too, like 10 years ago, nobody was saying, you know, oh, you should write a mystery. That's going to be the best way for you to break into this market. I mean, maybe some certain genre publishers were publishing that, but it wasn't as popular as it is right now. It's a super trend right now. So I guess I'm wondering what you would say to writers who are choosing between different paths and looking at the market and kind of letting that influence their choice in terms of what they want to write. I think that is a really interesting question. I think you actually covered it a little bit in one of your newsletters that you sent out a little while ago. I mean, obviously, you probably want to make money with your writing at a certain point in your career, and you have this idea of what you want your publishing and writing career to be. But I never think that you should write for capitalism or for any other idea. You you have to write for you and what feels honest and true to you and what you love. And that can be a broad spectrum. But I think following trends is sort of a losing battle because for me, you know, there might be certain trends that are happening in the industry, but wonderful story, wonderful character, and staying true to your writing voice and your passion is always going to be the best path because you can tell what authenticity looks like. And I think that that rings true in any piece of writing. I think that you have to write what you love and you can have ideas of sort of what you want your career to be and that can help guide your decisions, but it has to be from a place of passion. It has to be. And I suppose it depends on what kind of career you want, but I just think it's so much more honest and it will resonate when you're writing what makes sense to you and what comes from the heart. And that will be part of your voice. And that's going to be what makes it stand out because trends come and they go. You never know what's going to hit at any given moment. But if you're being honest to yourself, you can always be proud of the work that you produce. And you said the word passion. And whenever I hear that, I always think of what we're willing to suffer for, (laughs) because that's sort of the origin of that word. And there's such a long slog in writing a whole book. So I'm just picturing the person following the trend and going, 
I'm not willing to suffer for this anymore. And just being in the middle of that process instead of picking the project or the idea that they would have died on a hill for because it's like the thing that they just really have to be writing. And there's always a place, depending on where you're looking. I mean, Rare Machines is one of our imprints and we specialize in creative and non-traditional, more experimental fiction. And that's something that we love to see, things that do push the boundaries and break those barriers and might not necessarily just be created for this capitalist function. We love to see that. We love to see things changing. And I think there's so much advice out there, you know, when it comes to writing, when it comes to saying exposition is bad and no prologues and, you know, clean, concise prose and not purple prose and cut your adjectives and all of these things when... In reality, it really depends on the story and what the purpose is and being authentic to that. I mean, one of the pieces that I wrote for Room, I think there was one line of action until the very end of the entire story. The first eight pages were basically inner monologuing and everyone would say that is terrible writing. Don't do that. But, you know, there are ways to do it right when you're being authentic to the story that you're telling. And so any generalized rule It's just that. Being someone who's neurodivergent, I always think of there is no formula. There is no rule that you can't play with or break or do properly if it is authentic to you and if it works for your voice, for your story, for what you're doing. So I don't know. It's so hard to give advice for exactly that reason. I always kind of follow myself on the side of like, awareness because I was thinking oh yeah I do that I have a revision love course and I tell people look for your adjectives but in the end I just want them to know that they're doing that and if it works for the story then keep doing it but if you don't know which is often what happens is people don't realize that they have all these adjectives in their story and they can fix it but it's like about intentionality and awareness I think I was talking to someone for whatever reason, you know, they were like, oh, you know, I just go and I take out all my adjectives. And I was like, try to describe a striptease without an adjective. You're going to be missing something. There's something truly missing from that scene. So, you know, it's what is appropriate for what you're doing. Again, there's no perfect formula. There's no rule that is general enough to encapsulate everything that we can do with writing and creativity. I kind of thinking of neurodivergence as a superpower too, to go, oh, there isn't one way because I'm this other way that isn't the norm. And I see that, you know, how I think and how I exist is this different thing, but it's totally valid and brings all these other gifts with it as well, too. Would you agree with that? (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely see the trends, but I often don't follow them. I guess having been neurodivergent my entire life, but only having known later on, being like, oh, these are the reasons (laughs) for a lot of the things that I've experienced. But I think knowing that authenticity, that intuition of, oh, this is right for me, or this is right for my story, that the world that we live in is structured in a capitalist, consumerist way. But having the goals at the end of that being like, why do I write? What is it that I want out of this process, not only for myself, but for my career? What does that look like for me? And making the decisions based on that instinct of knowing yourself and knowing what you want out of it. 
it's really the only way to do it because everybody is different and there isn't a one size fits all career or story or edit even, you know, if an editor is saying, look, this is my vision for the story. It's going to be more upmarket and we're going to add a love story and we're going to do all these things. And you go, yeah, no, that's not what this is meant to be. That wasn't the purpose of this particular piece. And I understand why that might be the way to go if what we're looking for is, you know, a bestseller. But is it right for the integrity of the piece that I'm writing and for me and for my career? The answer is not always so simple. I'm thinking of that cliche, you know, write the book only you could write. It's like, you don't want to write something that everyone else can write because that's not really a way to stand out and it's not going to be as fulfilling. I love the passion and enthusiasm that you bring to that response as well, too. Rachel here with a short interjection into my chat with Megan Beadle, who, as I mentioned, is an alumna of my Lit Mag Love course. The Lit Mag Love course will help you get a big yes for your writing from a literary journal. The five-week course will not come back around until January 2024, so this is a planning ahead notice. And you can join the course waiting list so you'll be notified and also get some special bonus and other offers. Lit Mag Love comes with a lot of support and feedback and with so much of that support focused on your own agency. Writers in Lit Mag Love join a warm cohort. You can learn all about the Lit Mag Love course, find out what writers say about working with me, and get on that waiting list at rachelthompson.co slash litmaglove. I mentioned that our theme is agency, both in terms of finding an agent and conceptually. And conceptually, I'm thinking of intentionality and self-knowledge and reflection, all things that you've touched on. I'm wondering if you can expand even more on what agency means for you. I think we can be really hard on agents. (laughs) I think sometimes they can get a bad rep or a bad deal and you send out submissions and you don't hear back. And trust me, I have so much trouble being patient. (laughs) I've been waiting to hear back for a submission for, you know, 300 days for a, a literary journal. But the thing is, when an agent decides to take somebody on, not only do they have to love the piece, but they are a warrior for you and for what you're doing. And it's not always easy for them either. And they have all of these emails and all of these submissions to get through. And then they're really fighting to find the right editor and the right publisher for whoever they do represent. So it does take time and there's a great deal on their plate. So I think it goes both ways where it's always a relationship and there are great agents and less great agents, but it's also about finding the right agent for you who has a similar vision, both for your career and for whatever piece you're working on. And knowing that those things align is great because they can tell you, look, are these realistic expectations? What are our expectations? And I think that conversation is really important, especially up front. Like, do we see this going in the same way? Are we, are we aligned? Am I the right agent for you based off of these things as well? But whenever somebody offers to be an agent, I think writers are very eager (laughs) to go, yes, please. I want to be represented because it's difficult to get that. But it's a conversation back, like, is the agent the right person for you? And I think a lot of finding that out too is 
finding out other clients and what these agents like and what they represent, what publishers they tend to work with. All of those things can help you find, I think, the right agent, but it can also help you navigate, (laughs) you know, queries so that you are querying the right agents versus sending out tons and tons of queries to a thousand different agents and not adapting your query for the person on the other side of the screen. As you describe that process of being an agent and fighting for the book, I'm also just thinking it's passion all around then. It's passion from the writer, it's passion from the agent too. And it's like everyone is willing to fight, as you said, for this story to come out in the world. So thank you for reminding us of that or, you know, letting us know that because I think it's true. It's like, oh, I have an agent. Isn't this so exciting? And it's easy to kind of get stars in your eyes and think all the things that could be and maybe overlook, I can imagine anyway, overlook some of the things that maybe aren't going to be a good fit for you with an agent. But it's always exciting. They're seeing the fit already. Yes. Well, they're seeing the potential there. They're seeing what they could help you get to. It generally means that they believe in your work a lot because they're certainly inundated all the time. So they see something in it, which is brilliant in and of itself. It's a huge accomplishment. So you've talked a bit about, I feel like the conceptual side of agency, but did you want to say anything more about what agency means to you, like on the conceptual side? I think it's always true that you have agency in the career that you're building and in in the writing that you're doing not just what you write, but how you go out into the world with that writing. And there's so many different possible journeys. So I think agency outside of just the idea of an agent or a literary agency, it's about taking on the journey that makes sense for whatever you're doing and actively having that agency deciding which way to go, what is right for you, what isn't right for you, how do you navigate something that feels authentic in your writing process, in your writing career, what advice does make sense, what doesn't, all of those things that you always have agency when it comes to the decisions that you're making for the path that you're taking in your writing. I want to turn to your own writing, Megan. Just wondering when you have felt the most agency in your writing life, and maybe the least even too. I think when it comes to writing for me, I have two very different types of writing that I do. I do literary writing, but I also do fantasy writing. And for me, they're two different sides of the coin. I think the literary writing is something that is very things that I'm dealing with, therapeutic for me, but also a practice in empathy, self-love and love of others. But it's dealing with this real world that exists. And I think my fantasy writing tends to be more escapist, (laughs) more something that I do because it's fun and it's engaging. And it's something that I do to get out of this real world that I grapple with. And so I like to do both of those things. But they're very different writing careers. And I think one of the things that I've learned and one of the things that I sometimes feel takes away from my own agency or my writing practice is this 
trying to juggle what's right in the sense of, you know, do you do the thing that your agent's going, this is going to make us a lot more money. So why don't you finish this one first? But, you know, you want to do the literary work or what makes sense for you. And you just have to make the decisions that for your career, for your life make sense because it isn't about money. I think it is, at least for me, about passion, about a career, about balance, about being the best version of myself and helping or using writing to reach that version of myself as well in whatever way works for me. So it's sometimes stepping back from the industry and from capitalism and and making those choices based off of what I need for me. I love that, what you said about reaching for the best version of yourself. I'm really connecting to that idea. I'm always just struck by writers who are doing that, where they're balancing kind of two very different types of projects and genres. And I think there's something about that that I resonate with, where it's like, oh yeah, this is how you can do the one because you have the other and you can kind of float between the two of them. So thank you for describing that. Because I also think it's helpful for many writers who feel like, oh, I have to pick this one thing or I have to choose, like you said, the more lucrative capitalist vibing project versus the one that's like heart vibing and feeling like is letting me breathe and be that person that I want to become. I think I just sort of soapboxed your your comments, but anyway, I want to like shout it from the rooftops because I really like what you said. Thank you so much, Megan. Thanks for sharing all of that with us. And I wondered too, like of the, you know, you talked about those two different genres. What are you writing right now? What are you writing these days? I say I have balance, but I'm definitely writing and working on two different projects at the same time. I'm writing a short story collection. So I'm in the last sprint to finish that up. And I got uh, a recommender grant from Anansi, which is helpful. (laughs) And then uh, on the other side of that, I am finishing a fantasy novel as well. So I'm I'm working on both and it sort of depends on my mood and what I feel like doing. Probably going to end up finishing them at similar times, which is going to be interesting. But that's what I'm doing. And I mean, I took your submissions course and I'm still submitting the short stories as I go, which is, which is good because that is a, you know, it's a long process to hear back from things. It kind of helps keep that balance in the sense as well, because, you know, you slowly get those publications in the literary world and you also get to develop kind of a larger project out of those things, which is nice, like piecemeal short stories from different places that kind of fit together in a collection. And then on the other side, I just get to write for fun and happiness when I feel like it for the other one. So I'm just trying to not put too much pressure on either one. And I mean, I'm also just taking on the acquiring editor role, which is new as well. So that's also a balance. So it's like life, editing, writing, trying to keep them all balanced. And, you know, sometimes I do a better job and sometimes there is no writing for a little bit. I'm excited to read everything that you've described. And it makes me think too, because I think there's this conventional wisdom, which is a lot of what we're balking at, that tells you, oh no, well, you know, you have to 
even write under a different name to write a different kind of book. And it's like, these have to be separate personas. But when I think about just myself as a reader, I would love to read all of it too. So why don't we consider that the market is like the people that are enjoying reading fantasy and short stories and literary fiction. So yeah, I don't know if we can resolve the whole industry today, but I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, it's interesting because that's a marketing issue and a publishing issue and a capitalism issue where, you know, you are creating these boundaries and these boxes of where do things fit, but it is honestly simply for this mechanism of sales and reaching people and publicity. Whereas on the writing side, I don't think it's as clear cut. Like I even say, you know, I write fantasy on the one side and that's for fun. And then I write literary, but one of the pieces that I wrote is pure fantasy. It's about marionettes in Prague, dancing little marionettes. And it's obviously complete fantasy, but it's actually the closest to my real life of anything else that I've ever written because I had the liberty and the space to be able to really talk about my feelings and what I was going through and the loss of my sister in a way that felt safe. And so I connected with very real things on that side of things. And it was very much an extension, I think, in some ways of the literary work that I do. So again, you know, the boundaries aren't clear cut. And we as creators, we're not creating simply to be recognized by an industry. We're creating, at least for me, I create out of a sense of urgency and necessity and processing, (laughs) healing and connecting. So I think I try to separate that from the problems of the industry and being able to put things in boxes. It's something that sure I will do later on, and maybe I will apply a box to it or try to find the right place in the market for it. But I never, ever compromise my art for the sake of fitting into a category or for a market. Never. It might, again, be a neurodivergence thing. I can't compromise myself to fit into other people's expectations. It's just something I've learned living and trying to be the most authentic version of who I am and the most authentic writer that I can be. Here, here, I love it. (laughs) I just am so grateful to you for spending the time with me and for sharing everything you have today. It feels like it fits into... Like it's articulated in many ways, some of the thoughts I've had, even just about how writing works in terms of those boxes. So I really value that. And I'm grateful, especially someone coming from your experience too, to be like, oh, I've been on this other side and these boxes are kind of arbitrary and based on these other things that have nothing to do with our artfulness. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) It was lovely to be asked and to be here. So I've really enjoyed the process. (laughs) I hope I got you some answers about agenting. I know we we went on some some little divergencies, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, and I think it was helpful. I actually have a quick final round, too, where I want you to finish some sentences. I've been bringing out these sentences for everybody. So the first is, being a writer is... Being a writer is having a voice. And rejection for a writer means? You're trying. (laughs) Putting yourself out there. And then finally, writing community is? Everything. It's um, what holds you up and keeps you going, I think. 
I agree. I just am grateful to you for being part of our writing community as well, too, and just my writing community in general, too. So thank you again, Megan. Thank you so much, Rachel. Megan is the final guest in this theme run on agency, and I hope it has been helpful for you to hear from all these different perspectives from writers who made their agent matches, writers working in their own form and own way, and literary citizens who want to foster relationships that help writers find their truths. If you're new to the podcast and just started listening here, I encourage you to go back and check out those previous conversations, starting with episode 73, where Lacey Young talks about how she found an agent and kept her own agency in the process, episode 74, in which Jessica Waite talks about navigating family relationships when publishing a memoir that spills some family tea, episode 75, in which my colleague at Room, Geffen Semach, takes us through the vast landscape of literary folks who work behind the scenes, and episode 76, in which Wendy Atwell talks about making her own map, finding the shape of her non-traditional formed memoir. Thank you, dear writers, for all the feedback about this series, as I think it really hits on my philosophy and approach for teaching writers, which is surprise, not as the wise know-all editor who will tell you how to fix your work. It also seemed to me like so many of you needed to hear this about agency and that you can go your own way and there isn't one way to be a writer. So thanks again for all the connections that you've made with me regarding this theme run. I loved that about my conversation with Megan Beadle too in this episode who encourages you to write what you love, to show up authentically and to come from a place of passion and honesty in your writing life. Trends come and go, as she says, But being honest to yourself, you can always be proud of the work you produce. A reminder, dear listeners, that you can learn all about my Lit Mag Love course, find out about what writers say about working with me, and get on that waiting list at rachelthompson.co slash litmaglove. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson. Sound editing is done by Adam Linder of Bespoken Podcasting. Episode transcripts are up usually within a day and are transcribed by Dia Jaffrey. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. When you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters sent every week and filled with support for your writing practice. If this episode encouraged you to take a moment to feel proud about the path you were choosing to follow as a writer or gave you an aha moment of clarity about staying authentic to yourself on your journey, I would love to hear all about it. You can reach me at hello at rachelthompson.co. Please tell other Luminous writers about this episode. I know I say this every time. And if you had a moment to share this episode, just know that it helps a lot and will allow me to keep going and making new episodes. I'm currently wrapping up the podcast season and there will be just one more episode before the summer months in the Northern Hemisphere. So maybe you'll encourage writers, you know, to catch up on the pod over June to August and prepare for new episodes to come in September. And the way to do this is to send them to rachelthompson.co slash podcast, or let them know to search for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. So thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to keep writing with agency. My guest, Megan Beadle, spoke to me from Toronto, colonially known as Toronto, which is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. 
and I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and presently occupied by the El Muzina Bedouin. I have also benefited from being raised on Treaty 2 territory in Manitoba and living and working in various parts of what is colonially known as Canada, including Montreal, the traditional territory of the Kenyan Kehaka. 